Preventing suicide is one of our society's greatest challenges. That's why the Flint Hills Volunteer Center has developed this Suicide Awareness Packed podcast. Packed stands for Prevention, Awareness, Compassion, Training. The Suicide Packed podcast will feature personal stories and professional perspectives. This podcast series is funded in part by the Kansas Health Foundation, AmeriCorps Seniors, and the Greater Manhattan Community Foundation. Our hope is to touch hearts and provide hope amidst despair. Please follow us wherever you get your podcasts and share them with those you know that are seeking help and hope. Our website and contact info is included in the show notes. This is the Flint Hills Volunteer Center Suicide Awareness Pact. Within this podcast, our mission is to help those that are dealing with suicidal thoughts, tendencies, and help those that love individuals that are struggling. My name is Dave Lewis, and joining us here in the program is Lori Bishop, who is the Executive Director of the Flint Hills Volunteer Center. Lori, this is a really welcome podcast with information that's going to be very helpful, we hope, for uh, for many. Yes, and it, it continues with what our theme is, is to bring awareness uh, to our community. Uh, we need to talk about this. And so uh, I'm, I'm excited about today's uh, guest speaker. His name is Tyrone Townsend. Tyrone, welcome to uh, Suicide Awareness Pact. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, you and Lori. Thank you. Well, let's uh, talk a bit about who you are. Tell us the the Tyrone Townsend story. So I am originally from Kansas City, Kansas. I love Manhattan. I've been here nine years. Um, so I am a veteran. I was in the Army, uh, stationed at Colorado Springs. After I left the Army, I joined the police department here in Raleigh County PD. This is my first, I say interesting because this is my first week, official week, not being a police officer anymore, just a full-time counselor. I got into mental health counseling really when I was in a school resource officer. I saw kids uh, and I was a school resource officer at Manhattan High. So kids would come to me with their issues and they trusted me, which is really great. It was cool. I had all the empathy. That wasn't something I needed to go to school for. I could listen and I could be understanding, but I didn't have tools. I didn't have interventions. I didn't have skills. That's something a professional would have. So I said, you know what? Let me go back to school so I can get more training on this. so I can actually help people. And at first, I just kind of used it alongside being a police officer and just during my regular calls, traffic accidents, someone having a panic attack or just some kind of issues, whether it be even a suicidal issue. And so eventually I said, you know what, I can do more with this. So I started doing uh, part time. So open my own private practice, Townsend Counseling Services and started doing part time. And I just was able to help so many people. That I say, you know what, I think it's time to really go full time. So this, like I said, this is my first week going full time. Well, congratulations on getting your own clinic started and and best wishes to you. That's that's a big step. Yes. Thank you. Tyrone, uh, as a school resource officer, um, we hear a lot about bullying in schools. Did you witness any of that or did any of the students come to you with any of their concerns about bullying? Bullying was, you know, it was always a thing where even when I was in the school, I graduated in 2003, right? And so... It was the difference was then it was it seemed very exterior. You could see it. So you visually, I mean, could see it. Somebody's bruises on them. Uh, someone's shirts torn. Uh, they had a lunch bag in the morning. Now they don't have one. Now, in 2022, it's not always so visual. A lot of the Internet bullying would go on. So you have a lot of uh, exclusion would happen. And the problem with it is um, we're so as humans, we're, we're just so identified. We're supposed to be around people. Right? That's like our natural element. So when you take a kid that's once they're a part of a group. 
say on Instagram or uh, Snapchat, something happens, a disagreement, now they get excluded. And that's one of the, I mean, even uh, I didn't share this, but I was a correction officer actually for two years. And so once in Johnson County and Lyon County, one of the prime moments we actually watched for suicides when we take, we would take an inmate from a general population to an isolated population because they're by themselves. And it's very frightening. It's scary to be by yourself. So just imagine that on the level of a high school or middle schooler where they're excluded in that sense. A lot of emotions go on and you already dealing with hormone changes and also impulsiveness. And so the bullying we would see uh, would come from a lot of that, just the disconnect and then also having access to just that constant berate of name calling, exclusion. And it's hard to really go away from it. I mean, I say back in my day, I can just shut the door. My mom say, oh, just come inside. They can't get to you. Maybe they can call. We could just block the number answer. But but now, I mean, they have access to the phones 24-7. So it's something that we deal with. And and to answer your question, Lori, even more in depth, the students would come to you. And that was one of the things I really preached when I was a police officer is they already knew I had a gun and a badge. So I would even tell them, just call me Tyrone. Don't call me Officer Towns unless you, that was your thing. And I, I left that space open for them to come and talk to me. And so that was what was... One of the things that was most important in that relationship is just having that openness to say, hey, you can come tell me about whatever it is and then we can work through it. You know, and and that's interesting that you say that because that's the theme of our Yellow Ribbon Suicide Prevention Program is it's okay to ask for help. But I agree. I think you have to have someone you can feel comfortable speaking with and safe uh, to, to speak to someone. So, yes, I agree. When I was leaving out one of the crucial moments when we talk about suicide and when we talk about just being isolated is that transition period. So you could, again, you live in a, a, a community where these are your battle buddies. And so these are people that you may have to play with, people you went to basic training with, people that you went through hard times with, you made that connection. You have this identity set, like I'm stationed at this place, stationed at that place. And now you transition out into civilian world and you don't have that anymore. And so what happens is you're looking for that. You're seeking for that. And again, like you said, people you can trust. When we were in the Army, it was like you can go to, we call them NCOs, non-commissioned officers. You can go to that person and ask for help. You have all these resources there at your fingertips. But you turn into a civilian and it's like, where are the resources? We have them. It's not like we don't have them, but it's the communication. How do you get that veteran to know that there are there's a hotline out there? that there's community resources they can go to. Yeah, that's one of the things I I heard from someone too, is that you get out and you're on your own. Like somebody told you for all these years, do this, do this, you know, show up here, do this. And then all of a sudden you have to make those decisions on your own. And and the struggles that you go through uh, once you've left uh, your military service. Uh, and, and and we're lucky because I, I think here at Fort Riley and, and around, they recognize that and they're working on that. So that's that's good to know, too. We're visiting with Tyrone Townsend, who spent many years as a Riley County Police Department official, was in the U.S. Army and now has started his own clinic here helping individuals. One of the things that stands out to me is that I don't know that there is anyone that's immune from some of these pressures. That's true. They're not. There's no one that's immune to it because it's everywhere you look at in life. So, and I think, Lori, you brought up earlier talking about it. Um, No matter if it's stress at the job, if it's family, how many times is it the same thing with our with our jobs? It's like this is our community here at work. And then what happens when we go home and talking about it, the stress that we, we deal with uh, on a daily basis to people that we trust. And Tyrone, you've had some of your own struggles in the world of mental health. I have. And 
weird thing when I started counseling. Um, when our professors would just ask like, Hey, who, who all is going to see therapy or going to see a therapist? And I was like, I didn't, I thought we all had it figured out. And so I was like, well, let me start doing, let me start doing that. Well, I, first I just kind of gave a lot of surface answers. It's just, you know, I really didn't know how deep to get into this, but then it finally hit me that the only way I'm going to get something out of it is if I actually dive into those things that were triggers that were hard to talk about. And so for me, it was a lot. Um, I've told a story before, but my father passed when I was really young, five, and he was shot and killed by a police officer. So that was really traumatic for me. And I dealt with a lot of issues of, um, you know, looking and seeking for that, like father figure, not feeling good enough sense of like not having accomplishments, just always seeking for something more like a validation from somewhere and someone. I experienced a lot of uh, trauma as far as in the military as well. And those things were hard to talk about because, again, I think as men, I could be generalizing. We have the sense of we want to pride and just be a protector. I thought of it as weak and really it's not. It's actually strong. And it's it's having courage to say you need help and you need someone to talk to. Once I started releasing some of that pressure and talking to someone, I felt so much better. And that's really what it was, Lori. It was just getting it out, getting out to talk to someone and uh, feeling relieved about it. Yeah. And, and and to me, that's what's important because, uh, you know, I've shared my story of, of my son's uh, passing and the struggles that I went through because I blamed myself. I, I wasn't a good mother. A good mother would have seen your son was going, you know, and so I agree. And, and, I think that's why I'm really interested in this now, because back then I couldn't share, share things. And I agree. I think we have to tell our stories and not be ashamed of how we felt and struggles that we went through. And I think if everybody could just not judge anybody Mm -hmm. uh, by what they've gone through or what happened or judge because my son had a drug addiction, you know, just be there for that person. Showing empathy. It goes a long way. I talked about that a little when I was SRO. That was one of the things I had. I didn't have to train on that, but I know the skills are the tools. And so in what you discussed too, a little bit about addiction, people don't realize that one of the things about addiction and, and what people go through is a lot of it's just coping mechanism. They may be maladaptive because they don't have the tools and the, and the skills to know. And, and sometimes not even the access. Uh, and we haven't really touched on that, but I've had just in my clinical practice, so many people called, they, they didn't even realize they were like, I've called five places. They're all booked. And so think about someone who's struggling with mental health, right? They don't know about these resources. What's something that's very accessible for them to turn to? I'm not saying that this is the case with your family, but but what I've experienced is liquor stores are right there. It's it's the access to it. Cool. It's it's hard. Like you have to pull yourself out to say, I'm going to call a therapist, probably gonna speak to an admin person. I'm gonna I'm gonna fill out the paperwork. I'm gonna go get my Aetna or Blue Cross Blue Shield card. I'm gonna give them information. Those are a lot of steps to take. They almost set appointment, then they tell you. Hey, it's two month wait list. So what do you do in those 60 days? And so that's something that through what I am hoping to accomplish in my vision for the long run is to get more accessibility to not just veterans, but just people in the community that need it. Doesn't matter who you are, whether that's just more private practice, more clinicians out there, and hopefully we can help that struggle what I'm talking about that. Is there a sense of stubbornness that comes from some people or is it uh, is it a fear factor that uh, they don't want to share their thoughts, their concerns? 
So I think in my experiences, what I've seen is you're you're kind of going about life. Like, for example, for me, I'm a father. I have kids. Even the opposite way, my, my wife, you have all these other things going on. And so what happens is sometimes you're just very uh, selfless. You put everybody else's problems first. And so you're thinking that, OK, I got to take care of the kids. I got the kids to soccer practice. I got to be strong for this. We have church. We have to we have this going on. That's going on. Do I deserve to set time aside for me? Um, it, it blows my like I will blow people's minds away when they sit on the couch and the, and, and I'll ask them. Really just a few questions about have you taken time for yourself this week? They'll look at me like I'm crazy because they just they they're they're like, I have I don't know what you're talking about. I have kids, I have responsibility, I have class. Even like my students, my K State students who don't have children, they're not married. I have class, I have practice, my athletes, uh, they have I see them too. Am I supposed to take time for myself? Like, yes. Yeah, show yourself some grace. Have some gratitude. What did you do well this week? Did you work really hard at practice? Did you work really hard on that test? I didn't get an A, but did you put in effort? Yeah, I did put effort. That's good. Give yourself a pat on the back. So a lot of times I think what I've found is people aren't giving themselves permission enough. Almost like they think it's a selfish thing um, just to worry about themselves. Explain some of the processes that are involved in your past life as a school resource officer. Would you hear uh, a story from uh, a high school student? You talk to them, you listen, and then what happens? So the process for that, good question, Dave. So they would come to me, and the funny thing is, you talk about the updated times, this phone, I know you can't see it in the podcast, but um, there's actually, I'm going to give her credit. Her name is Sergeant Jamie Dixon, and she's with the Rock County Police Department. She is amazing. She was an SRO before me. She started the program as far as getting permission for SROs to have a cell phone. They didn't, ha- they didn't give it to us, and we didn't want to use our personal cell phone. So the PD gave us a uh, SRO cell phone they paid for because I, we were t- she was telling them these the kids they that's how they communicate these days right <laughs> they're not we're not sending notes to each other anymore letters so um, I was able to get an SRO Snapchat account and then my phone number and that did so much because the kids I would have a kid walk by me in the in the hallway could be for different reasons maybe they didn't want to be seen talking to the cop maybe people thought they were a snitch or whatever you know term you want to use they walk by me I say how's your day they walk right by me. Five minutes later, bell rings on the way to class. I hear beep, beep on my phone. I'm good, Austin Townsend. I'm good, Tyrone. I just didn't want to, you know, my friends around or whoever was around. And then that communication and that relationship built over time where if we had like a missing kid, I would put out a thing on Snapchat like, hey, has anybody seen this kid? And I would get responses like left and right. And then I could tell my my uh, superiors like, hey, I know somebody who knows where this person is. And I don't think you got that way without the trust. I know I'm leading off a little bit, but basically back to your question, though, Dave, if a kid needed help, they communicate with me on the phone. Sometimes they stop my office. I talk to them. I immediately let their teacher, I send them an email or let the assistant principals let them know, hey, they're in my class. There's a crisis going on. We need to have a conversation. Um, And then if I needed follow up, I would talk to um, there are several really good counselors at the high school. I'm going to I want to say names, but I'm going to throw I know Rochelle Barr is at East Campus. She was awesome. Uh, And then Aaron and I can't remember her other name, but there is a really good uh, counselor as well. And I would send send them to them for follow up if I needed to or just follow up with the kid themselves. Yeah. And I think that 
what you just described is what we need more of. So the ages are getting lower uh, for those that are dying by suicide. And that's one thing, too, that we're trying to let people know the, the correct the lingo correct, correct is lingo. Died, died by, by suicide, suicide. Mm-hmm. not committed suicide. So we're really trying to get that that out, too. So, um, But Tyrone, one of the things I, I saw on your website was, um, what's the difference between talking to you or my best friend or my family? Why would why would someone want to come and speak to you other than their best friend? Again, it kind of goes back to the the burden thing too. I think we it's good to have a support system. And then what I advise is come to a counselor. We're able to listen. We're able to we have the experience and the clinical experience to recognize if you if something else is going on and what's going on. Uh, like your friend might have that empathy and they might be able to listen and they're a good support. That's great in the sense of someone to listen to and say, I don't know it all, but you might need to go see a therapist or a counselor. Uh, we have the skills to do interventions that that are evidence based and, and they work and not to get even too clinically into it. There, there really is an art about active listening and positive regard and, and affirmations and gratitude are, are great. But it's it's like a transformation that happens when you do because you might share your friend with other people. Uh, they, you, there's no contract you sign that says confidentiality or anything like that. Even going back to my story, seeing a therapist and I still see a therapist through the VA. And it is awesome just to know that everything I talk about in there is confidential. It won't get out. There's no rumor, you know, the friend and I, you and a friend might break up, you know, and now, you know, whatever. It's all legally binded, protected by state statute. And it's a really good feeling of confidence to know that you can just share your information. It's not going to get out. And that's one thing that I learned the hard way. Um, I remember after Shane passed away, uh, a, a counselor had called and wanted to know if I wanted to speak. Well, at that point, I was too angry. Mm-hmm. And it's like I, 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 I d- didn't feel like I needed to tell, talk to somebody. Well, you know, 10, 12 years later, you realize that was wrong. You know, that we shouldn't be afraid of, of, of speaking to someone, you know. And, and so I, I, that's one of the things I really wanted with what we're doing here is to, not to be afraid uh, to ask for help. And I think one of the things we ought to also emphasize is there's no shame in talking to someone. I mean, it, that's a sign of strength. And that's something that, uh, you know, you were talking about, give yourself a pat on the back, you know, when you were talking about your kids earlier, Tyrone, it's just like, did you, did you work hard to, on that test? Give yourself a pat on the back because you're looking out for your own best interest. And sometimes we lose that sight. We do. Uh, you said, Dave, it's, and it's, it's hard because, well, I mean, before I even discuss the heart, I would say I kind of look a little bit on the positive side, too. I think that that is changing some, not just access, but the ability to destigmatize. I would see it in high school where kids were very open about talking about mental health. I had never heard that when I was growing up as a kid where they would say, uh, yeah, my therapist, my therapist. And um, I learned these coping skills and these coping strategies. And it was a lot. It's just a lot more acceptable. I, I think it's still not to that standard we would all like it to be. And that's the reason why we have the issue, some of the issues with, with people coming forward. One of the things that I really, again, I know uh, we talk about the everybody, the population, but veterans and my first responders, those are the, the two that I really, I really focus on because I've been in that boat again, 
where you experience a lot of trauma. So you're talking about not just cops, but EMS, firefighters, any first responder. And it's a natural thing to well, what happens is to deal with that trauma, we disassociate. And um, it's like if you're seeing horrible traumatic stuff every day, you can't possibly throw all your passion and your empathy into it. So the way to cope with it is disassociate. And when you do that, it's like we need how do we come back? to ourselves and how do we do that? And so talking to somebody about it, giving them permission to do that, time off work, whatever the case it is, like just a big mental health push for my first responders and my veterans. Lori, you are right. He's a terrific guest. Yes, he is. Tyrone Townsend, thank you so much for joining us. And tell us how we can find you uh, when we need some help. My office is 205 South 4th Street, uh, Suite 207. My website uh, is www.townsendcounselingmhk.com. And if you go there, I have resources, my email, contact information. Please feel free to contact me. Tyrone, thanks for your commitment to the community, to our country, through your service, and to those that are in need. Thank you. We hope you or someone you love can benefit from this series. If you need help, reach out to the many resources that are available. Many are listed in our show notes. The Flint Hills Volunteer Center's Suicide Awareness Pact podcast series is funded in part by the Kansas Health Foundation, AmeriCorps Seniors, and the Greater Manhattan Community Foundation. Please follow us wherever you get your podcasts and share them with those you know that are seeking help and hope.